Bandwidth for Changelog is provided by Fastly. Learn more at Fastly.com. We move fast and fix things here at Changelog because of Rollbar. Check them out at Rollbar.com. And we're hosted on Linode cloud servers. Head to Linode.com slash Changelog. This episode is brought to you by Linode, our cloud server of choice. It is so easy to get started with Linode. Servers start at just five bucks a month. We host Changelog on Linode cloud servers and we love it. We get great 24 seven support. Zeus like powers with native SSDs, a super fast 40 gigabit per second network and incredibly fast CPUs for processing. And we trust Linode because they keep it fast. They keep it simple. Check them out at linode.com slash changelog. Welcome to GoTime, a podcast featuring a diverse panel and special guests discussing cloud infrastructure, distributed systems, microservices, Kubernetes, Docker, oh, and also Go. We record live every Tuesday at 3 p.m. Eastern, noon Pacific. Join the community that's live with us in real time during the show in the GoTime FM channel and go for Slack. Follow us on Twitter. We're at GoTimeFM. Listen live at changelaw.com slash live or subscribe at changelaw.com slash GoTime. And now on to the show. Well, hello there, everybody, and welcome to Go Time. I'm Matt Ryer. Today, we're talking web development with Go. You know, the internet, it's massive now. It's really taken off. It really is doing well. And uh, lots of the stuff that's on that internet was made with, you guessed it, web development. So it's a big subject. And joining me to discuss it today, it's... uh, we're welcoming back the one and only, it's Mark Bates. Hello, Mark. Hello, Matthew. It's been a while. So the second voice you've heard there is also uh, one of our panelists. It's only Johnny Borsico. Hello, Johnny. Hello there. Do you have any insults for me? Top of the show? <laughs> Just get them out of the way. Can... <laughs> no, no, no. I think I'm, I'm going to hang on to them, you know? Uh, unleash oh. them when you, when you least expect them kind of thing. I oh. think it has a better impact that way. <laughs> yeah, good. It probably does. And we're also joined uh, again by, uh, it's only Aaron Schlesinger. Hello, Aaron. Hello. Well done on the name, by the way. Thank you. Yeah, it was no effort. Not much effort. It took me weeks. Oh, cool. I continue to be impressed. <laughs> so how have you been? I've been very well. Thank you. Good. Johnny, I didn't ask you. How, how are you settling in? You, you starting your new role? How's it going? Yeah, I don't know. When when do I stop calling it new? It's been like a month mm. now, I think. But yeah, it's 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 coming together um a lot to learn as you can imagine it's a pretty large um tech stack so uh yeah right now i'm just a student you know just uh basically putting myself in every meeting i can find just to ingest some information and, and know what's what um and hopefully i start being productive and start to you know earn my keep yeah cool no it sounds good though it's exciting when you hit the meeting johnny that says how to get rid of get her heroku credits to all your friends then let me know yeah, yeah, I've got you on uh, on uh, yeah text messaging immediately. I, I, once I get that, yeah, I love you. you no, know, I've been a, I've long since been a fan of Heroku. I think it's fantastic. But that's just me. Agreed. <laughs> I should Agreed. hope so. <laughs> <laughs> Johnny's like can't stand it. In it for the money. <laughs> <laughs> well, that is true. I am in it for the money. <laughs> yeah, I don't work for free. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, yeah, so I was thinking about that. Hosting like hosting Heroku and stuff. I use the App Engine quite a lot and you can do these things quite easily hosting static sites. But it's when the sites can't be static that's when things get more interesting. Um what's your experience so far on the panel of people building things for web in Go? Any thoughts? That's a loaded question. Yeah, indeed. <laughs> we, we all have thoughts. That's why we're here. I mean, where where should we start? I heard about this uh, web development framework named after an animal, <laughs> written written in Go too. Iris, Iris. That's an animal. <laughs> oh, I, I don't know. It is a beast in the community. <laughs> oh, okay. I didn't know. <laughs> yeah. Well, before we get into that, let's talk a bit about what you can do with Go. Uh, for as far as web development, what you can do with the standard library, and we can talk about any short shortcomings in that, and maybe there are external solutions that we can look at. So, one of the things that strikes me is that actually the net HTTP package 
did quite a good job of giving us the basics of really, not just the basics really, but everything you need to build things for web, including we got, um, we, we, there's an HTML templating library, which is for the very basic use cases, I would say kind of perfect. But as, if you start to build anything bigger, as, as with lots of things in the standard library, they're often great to just use initially. And as things get get more complicated and you have to do more advanced things, then you have to look elsewhere. Templating is one example where I tend to now skip over using the in, internal HTTP, sorry, the HTML templating package. And I jump to something like Plush, which came out of the Buffalo project for templating just straight away because I know that pretty soon the content, you know, it's going to get more complicated than just basic templating. What about your templating experiences or any other subjects? <laughs> for for me, I mean, obviously, uh, I found the templating a bit lacking, which is why Plush came into be and why we're working on the successor to Plush now. But um, I, I want to take it back even further and just talk very quickly about uh, standard library. And those are, I think everybody knows I'm pretty opinionated <laughs> about my view of just use the standard library. Um, I think I, I, and I know that the Go team kind of agrees that the standard library are building blocks. Um, they're not meant to be the kind of be all end all. And, you know, all the languages I've worked in have had standard libraries and they've all had web components to them. Uh, and some are better than others. Um, what I can tell you is that we didn't use the standard library straight up in Java most of the time. We didn't use the standard library in Ruby <laughs> most of the time when I was doing those and vice versa. I think the Go standard library, first of all, provides a solid web server, unlike any other standard library I've ever used. Um, but then I think what's there are great building blocks, but we shouldn't be treating it as this kind of like perfect solution, everything, because it's not perfect. There's a lot of work you got to do on top of all that. And the standard library doesn't even have everything you necessarily need to truly build complex web apps. You've got to assemble all those pieces together and the first step of that i think most people see is the uh serve mux right it's it's always use a standard library and then there's an asterisk of uh but you know use gorilla mux too <laughs> so you're immediately not in the standard library anymore um and so for me i think we just need to understand as a community that there are a lot of great things in the standard library and there are a lot of great packages outside the standard library that make it faster and easier for us to build more and more complex stuff do you only ever use the Gorilla Muxer or are there times when you just use the built-in stuff? Um, I, there are very few times where I use the built-in stuff. It, I, I use it if it's a couple endpoints and nothing too dramatically complex. Um, if I want right. to start getting into HTTP verbs and kind of more advanced routing, then I absolutely just jump straight to the Gorilla Yeah. Agreed. I'm, I'm the same, actually. Even if it's a couple of verbs, I might have a switch case in there or just a right. something. But yes, anything beyond that, anytime I'm parsing the path to get parameters out of it and things like that, then yeah, I use a, I use a Muxa straight away. I mean, the Gorilla one. Yeah. <laughs> anything else on that? I could keep talking. I'd love to hear other people talk. <laughs> Does anybody else use the Echo framework? No, I haven't used it. I used to a long time ago, and um, I really liked version one of it. And then they went interface heavy in version two, I think, and started supporting multiple engines, and it got very complicated for me. Uh, um, and they broke a lot of things, so I kind of stopped using it at that point. And that's um, at the same point that I had started doing some stuff where I needed where Buffalo eventually came out of anyway. So it was kind of a natural transition for me, but I, I thought it used to be a really solid product. I haven't seen it lately. It still is. I've, I've used it in my previous uh, previous job. I've, I've used it quite a bit for for a lot of the services we, we built internally. Um, yeah, and I mean, it, it did a job. It 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 works. And and you know, these days, basically, it's either that or or the Gorilla Mox, which basically I tend to favor more. So these days, um, because it's sheer stability and and it just works. So uh, yeah, I've used both of those, and and to great effect, they they, they do the job well. In fact, a lot of Buffalo's like naming around its router comes from Echo, uh, or at least version one of Echo. Just, you know, we kind of borrowed a lot of the naming like get and put and those things as capitals, for example, or use for middleware. Um, and then we built everything on top of Gorilla Mox. So, you know, not afraid to show the love to all these other great packages out there too. Yeah, I just, I asked because I, I recently started reaching for Echo 
specifically when I'm building REST APIs. Um, and I'm still a huge Gorilla Mux slash Buffalo, if there's some front-end stuff going on, fan for, you know, real, quote-unquote, real web <laughs> services. Um, but yeah, I, I find that Echo, especially Echo's context, uh, it just clicks a little bit better for me for uh, that specific use, you know, for the REST API use case. And so the difference you're talking about there is where a lot of things respect or keep the pattern of the, the handler interface, where there's a single method and it takes two arguments, the response writer interface and the HTTP request. And a lot of the different tooling sticks to that pattern so that it's more familiar and use, useful elsewhere. And um, But what Echo does is it changes that and instead you just get a single echo.context into the function. And then presumably you can access a lot of helpers and things on that context. Same in Buffalo as well, yeah. Yeah, and one thing I really love about about both of those contexts is they still let you drop down into the request, the raw, quote, you know, quote unquote, raw HTTP response writer and HTTP request. So you can plug in other libraries that use the standard library types. But then it's just cool to see all this more feature-rich stuff that's kind of hanging off the side of those context types as well. So I assume that's things like encoding and decoding with JSON and things like that, logging, that kind of thing? Yeah, log, path parameters, query parameters, mm -hmm. like the, the stuff you said too, yeah. Yeah, all that usually falls off the context. It's interesting, I think, um, you know, when things like Echo were doing that context pattern a long time ago when they first kind of came out they got a lot of grief because they weren't following the kind of response writer request handler mm -hmm. pattern um but now that go is all about the context <laughs> you know i don't feel as though it's an odd pattern anymore uh, i mean i suppose you could do context and then response request but I, I think at that point you're splitting hairs as long as you have access to the original request and response like aaron said I think that's kind of the nice balance of both worlds there. They also both respect the context interface as well from the actual standard library, right? So yeah. you can cancel with that context too. Mm -hmm. I don't know what it, what it is in Echo. I know in Buffalo, we take the request context, the incoming requests context, and use that as the, the, the basis for the Buffalo context uh, that you get. Right. So you get the cancellation and everything right from that. Yeah, yeah that's so cool. Yeah. And I think, Mark, something you said kind of reminded me of, you know, when people say just use the standard library, or I should probably say when people used to say that. The reason is, maybe it's just my bias, but when I first heard about Buffalo, uh, it was a recording of one of your talks, Mark, it might have been Gotham Go, and you, your overarching point was like, you know, hey, so far all I've seen is when I want to write a web app. I just hear, just use a standard library, but no more. This is Buffalo. This is why we built it, et cetera. And ever since I started using Buffalo, I kind of really haven't heard that so much. And I think the reason might be, you know, self-selection, of course, but I think there's also a sort of a part of this is that Buffalo has changed the conversation from what is an HTTP server to what is an HTTP stack in Go. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I, I I hadn't really thought that deep about deep about it to be honest. <laughs> I just know that I can build websites a lot faster than I used to be able to. For me, it was always about well, it wasn't always because it originally stemmed from a real project where we needed a lot of that. But for me, it's just about that rapid web development, right? And I had that for so long in Rails that it, it was like jumping into molasses to just use the standard library. And I'm somebody, you know, as a consultant or whatever, I build a lot of apps. Quick, like I need to build a lot of apps and I need to build them a lot very quickly. And just sitting there and repeatedly doing all the manual stuff you need to do with the standard library was just, just got too much for me. And, that, and that's kind of where the whole thing fell out. But it's interesting to, to think that it's changed the conversation in that, that respect. So the one, one of the things that I'm, I'm recalling from the early days was that basically folks who are coming from those uh, 
frameworks, right? You know, Django from the Python world and, and Rails from the Ruby world. They were coming into Go, and then basically there was this sort of a elitist sort of a feeling that, well, you don't use frameworks. You know, you just, you know, you just, again, just use a standard library and just deal with the things at the much lower level. That are like, you know, like basically to use these helpers was sort of frowned upon for some reason. Uh, I'm not sure if it was sort of this early adopter sort of mindset that basically said, well, you kind of have to work at the low level kind of thing. I'm not sure where that came from. I, don't, I think I know where it came from, but go on. Curious. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so you definitely have to t- tell us uh, tell us about that. But, you know, when I when I came to it, I mean, I th- you know, I remember you and I having a conversation. Like, I actually, we were on a train down to New York to, to Gotham Go or something like that. Yeah. And we were talking about how basically the, the, the this dogma that we have around, around web application development, right? It's like, okay, well, why, there's a lot of great ideas that, that basically came from the whale, Rails world because, you know, we both we both had done that. So yeah. it, it was like, we're like, we're saying, why why isn't this, I mean, there are shortcuts. There are, there are well-known patterns, right, that, that make you productive as a developer. Why why are we so against that in the Go community, right? So I think that 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 feeling, I'm I'm sensing a little bit less of it, but I think it's still there for a lot of for a lot of folks. And perhaps you know you, you know some of those folks and where that <laughs> thinking is coming from. Well, so for me, I I think um, I think I, I understand where it came from a lot, um, and I get it, and I can understand why it's changing now. Um, thankfully, and. I think, you know, when we first jumped into Go, you know, you and I, we, we you know, fairly early-ish adopters, um, certainly before the first Go for Con. So it's been a while now. Um, first of all, actually, let me jump back even further and just say that, I mean, Rails fundamentally changed the way web development works, period. I, I, I feel very confident in saying that. Anybody who did web development prior to 2005 knows what I'm talking about. It changed the playing field entirely on how we build web applications and how we look at them and view them. And, and I think in a very positive way. Um, but I think what happened was, and I know myself, I hit this too in the Rails world and, and others hit it in other worlds. And it's an inevitable kind of thing. And people are going to hit it and go too. And they're going to hit it with Buffalo. And that's fine. Is you hit that point where you're, hit, you're working against the framework now. Your application's grown too big. What have you or the things you want to do don't necessarily fit in, right? Uh, and we've all been there in our previous life. Well, most of us have anyway, in our previous lives with that. And I think when those early adopters came over to go, especially from like the Ruby world and Johnny, you, you certainly know a lot of the players I'm talking about here. Um, you know, I think there was a general mentality of, oh, frameworks are bad. And I fought with rails for the last five years and I don't want to do that and go. Um, and I think that's where it, the original concerns came from. Um, but now I think uh, go has kind of grown so much that those who had kind of lived through the early days of Rails and, and some of the bad experiences that left tastes in our, bad taste in our mouths um, are kind of now a bit more in the minority. Uh, and what you're getting instead is, is, a, is kind of a larger populace that's used to, to, to you know, express JS and Django and Rails, and they're okay with those. And they, they prefer the wins of the rapid development against the cons of, you know, having those dependencies in the larger tech stack. Anyway, that's just my ramblings. I think you're onto something. <laughs> yeah, you might be. <laughs> I always tell folks like, look, if you're gonna come into the Go community, or if you're gonna come into the Go language specifically, you kind of have to leave some of the baggage out the door, kind of thing, right? You know, like learn to love the language for what it is, right? And then, <laughs> like, if you have ideas, like, be basically, you know, have basically positive and constructive criticism, not just oh, it doesn't look like the stuff I'm used to. But in in the case of web development, I think. I think that in that scenario, I think it's okay to bring in the good ideas that we've already sort of ironed out right outside of the Go community, right? So, yeah. the, so the Rails, again, to, to echo Mark's sentiments, it has gotten a lot of things right. Right, so why reinvent some of those wheels? We can just emulate the patterns, which is why I'm, I'm like when you when you say okay, uh, go go Buffalo is is or Buffalo I should say is the it's basically just it's Buffalo the, it's just <laughs> Buffalo. <laughs> it's not Golang. It's just go. It's not Golang. It's go. It's not go Buffalo. It's Buffalo. <laughs> exactly. Why is it on GitHub, exactly. Mark? Right. So yeah. oh, shut up. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say the same thing. <laughs> no, but as it, we're uniform. We got Go Buffalo IO and Go Buffalo underscore IO on Twitter and the Go Buffalo or oh uh, yeah, Go Buffalo on GitHub and whatever. All right, that's yeah. enough name dropping. <laughs> the same name as well. Wasted. It is. It is. Yeah. Well, yeah. Want to drive that home? Sorry, mm-hmm. sorry, Johnny. What were you sorry, saying? Sorry, it's Johnny. 
no, it's fine. It's fine. It's a yeah. It's, it's all good. Um, yeah. So like when when you say that Buffalo is basically the the rails right of of the of go like I I'm some people might wince at that but I'm like oh yeah like <laughs> why not right like because it doing web development in Rails is super easy right like yeah. I you know once you once you get comfortable if you're already familiar with you know Rails development. Um, then coming into Go and saying like, ooh, there's something that works kind of like the same way, right? You, you actually, you get a faster, more performance server, but it kind of the same idiom, same things that you're used to. That's going to make you a lot more productive a, a lot sooner, right? If, yeah. you're, if you're a Go adopter coming from those communities. So I think it's a good thing. Yeah, and we, you know we've been seeing a lot of that uh, in the Slack channel and just on, you know, on the issues and stuff like that. It's, you know, we're seeing it as a great kind of way people are coming into go as a you know um and and hopefully staying for the go uh back in the early days of uh, ruby and rail well early days of rails because ruby had been around for like 10 years prior to that um it was you know you come for the rails and you stay for the ruby uh and that was true you know ruby is a very powerful expressive language um and you know certain applications it's amazing um and you know i'm kind of hoping that and we're seeing anecdotal evidence that that buffalo is helping uh with that same kind of thing people are coming into go they're seeing buffalo and they're seeing that kind of rails like framework they're used to and they're saying great let me try to attack a problem i already know uh you know put together a little weekend website for myself using this tool and then they see the great power you get with go right and all the wonderful tooling and you know con- uh, concurrency and all that wonderful stuff you get right out of the box with go and we're seeing a lot of people coming in to the language from that angle. That's, that's obviously very rewarding for us. I kind of see the development of web development, <laughs> the evolution of web development in Go uh, a little bit differently uh, than what was kind of said. So I agree definitely that, uh, what was that? I'm... I just said, I said, ooh, interesting. Oh, oh, yeah. So this is my hot take. Um, <laughs> these are all hot ta- these are all hot takes, Aaron. <laughs> None of these are cold takes. Yeah. Well, now I really have to deliver because I've now I've built it all up. <laughs> so I actually agreed with a lot of the folks uh, who said just use a standard library. Uh, sort of a, in the beginning of when I you know started with Go and started hearing that kind of stuff, uh, and the reason was that there wasn't really anything Go like out there that represented a framework. I think that was because folks who came in would build basically just Rails, but, you know, transliterate the Ruby to Go. I think someone or something had to come in that sort of learned the rules of Go before they built a framework. And with frameworks like Buffalo and and template languages like Plush and and Echo and Gorilla Mox and sort of everything up the stack from the error.http.servmux all the way up. It all has that Go sort of flavor and it is written in standard Go so that if you come in as a, as a Go developer and you all of a sudden want to go from writing TCP servers to writing web apps, it's familiar to you. But then on the other side of the coin, it's like we've been saying just now is if you come in as a brand new web developer, a brand new gopher who wants to write web apps, you still kind of see how this thing works because you're familiar with your Django or Rails or whatever. And then, like you said, Mark, you kind of stay for the go. So there's these two on-ramps now, and I don't think either of those on-ramps would have been possible if there was someone who came in and just transliterated Ruby on Rails to go. Instead, I think it really had to be, you know, you learn the rules of go and then you build a framework that fits go first and, and then fits the use case of you know building a web app and doing templating and everything else under the sun that, that we have. I, I think you're 100% right, right? I think if you try to go into a language and just, you know, copy over the, the, the things that you're used to, it doesn't quite work. Uh, and that's one of the things I always say when I'm teaching classes is you need to just kind of let go of the old ways of doing things from your previous language and learn the go ones. Uh, but with that said, I mean, you know, Buffalo has been going on now for, you know, almost three years, I mean, two and a half years. Um, and, you know, again, it was extracted from a project I was working on before that. So there's still a lot of stuff in there that I look at and I say, oh, wow, that's not uh, very idiomatic. Or, you know, that could definitely be more Go-ish. Um, simply because, you know, you learn over time, right? And you're growing. And of course, 
you know, we get a lot of great contributors, first time contributors to the project, but they're also first time to go. And there's, you know, a learning curve, like you said, Aaron, right. You know, to, to kind of understand these idioms and patterns. So there's definitely, I think, a long way to go with tools like Buffalo and Echo and, and, and a lot of them, right? I mean, we're all still learning as a community. Like I said, context kind of came out of nowhere a while ago, right? What, 1.7? You know, and that was a fundamental kind of shift in the way we think about all of our Go applications, right? So, and mo- now modules are, are, are kind of there. And obviously, Aaron, you know about modules. And everybody who follows me on Twitter knows how I feel about modules. Um <laughs> And, you know, and there's like, you know, we're, we're trying to learn all over again, that new world. Right. So I, I think things like Buffalo and echo and I mean, all of the go, go tooling out there, not just web frameworks, you know, we still got a long way to go and it's always going to be a game of kind of making sure we're on top of the correct idioms of the day in some, some respects. Right. Yeah. And, and also sort of like it or not, I think Buffalo is go to some folks who come in and write web apps. So Buffalo, no pressure, but you're kind of representing the, the best features of go to folks who come in Yikes. and want to write web apps. Yeah. The best Ooh. feature, and, and the best feature me. of go is it's not node. I think that's anybody who uses, writes a Buffalo very quickly realizes that no is the node is hands down the downfall of Buffalo. <laughs> wow oh wow sorry sorry johnny i i uh talked over you johnny my bad no 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 that no that was a that was a pretty hot one uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, honestly so many of the problems we have are just because of node you know and it's just but it is like the way you do front-end development these days um and you know so we do hit it it's i'm not making fun of node i'm just saying that it's the way front-end web development is, is done these days and it it it's not the most stable. So, so, so one thing, I, one thing I, I do want to mention though is that we've been we've been talking uh, um, a lot about Buffalo and and uh, we mentioned Echo a few times, but you know, just just to give a shout out to the other uh, frameworks out there because they do contribute right to to the sort of the, the notion that Go is a great language for doing web development. So basically, you know, you know there was Jen a while back. I remember using that for a little bit. Um, Martini, um, I'm not sure which came first, but I think they were like a I think Martini came first. Yeah, 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 totally fine. Yeah, the uh, yeah, Jin and Martini. Remember using those? Mm-hmm. Um, um, those were early uh, um, frameworks that folks had started adopting. I've u- I used them in production projects. I'm sure I have a production service here and there from a couple <laughs> companies that go still still running those frameworks. So um, they learned a lot from those things. There's a Bigo as well. I've heard I've heard some good things about. Uh, I'm, you know, there's Iris. There's there's Revel. We do I mean, no. There's, no. There's, can we can we back up to Iris like and all. <laughs> in all seriousness because like mm-hmm. you know i joked about it earlier but i i really don't think it should be included in that list of respectable web frameworks um I, you know if you don't know the story mm. behind iris i highly recommend everybody goes out and google it, it this is a very not mm-hmm. uh he's th- this guy is not a good actor in the community in fact he often mm. steals code rewrites git histories all sorts of stuff um so, uh, you know, I, I think all the other ones you mentioned are great, but I, I really don't think Iris actually deserves to be discussed as a serious contender um, because of the actions of its maintainer. But that's just me. Okay. <laughs> no, yeah. I mean, hey, everybody definitely, you know, if you definitely want to look into that and, and understand why um, um, Mark and other folks in the community feel that way, it's, it's you know, definitely uh, do that. So uh, I think this touches on a, on a good point as well that, the the go community is when we talk about the go community it's not just a source code right you kind of have to be a decent human being as well right so if you're if you're if you're not a a good human or mistreating others or or you know doing some of the things that mark just mentioned if you're not if you're not if you're a bad actor within a go community it doesn't matter how great your tech is you know it's you're gonna you have to be a good citizen within the ecosystem in, in order to thrive in it yeah <laughs> absolutely um you know so you know so Moving on past that, uh, you, Johnny, you brought up, um, you know, uh, Martini and stuff. And can, I don't think we can talk about web development without talking about Code Gangsta for just a quick minute. <laughs> Jeremy Signs. Um, so for those of you who aren't familiar with him, um, I don't know, Aaron and Matt, do you know who he is? No, I don't think I've met him. Okay. Yeah. So he hasn't been active in the Go community for a long time now. Um, but I remember at the second... Uh, GopherCon, him and I taught a web development course. 
Um, and he did a lot of great work. He wrote Martini, which was, I would argue, kind of the first, I don't know, it was like a Sinatra-esque framework. Um, it, it was certainly not idiomatic. And matter of fact, Jeremy later went on record and said, this was a bad idea. Do not use this. <laughs> if anybody follows his blog, he also wrote Negroni, um, which was the middleware software. Uh, he wrote a tool called Jin, which was kind of a, the, it would watch your files and rebuild your binary, uh, not to be confused with Jin Gonic or Jin Tonic, whatever the, the framework is. They're two different things but he was such a huge influence in the early days of web for go you know and, and his presence was always missed he was he was a really fun guy i don't you know he dropped he had a baby and then dropped out of the community and it's a shame and gin that just that tool gin uh the, the not jinjonic like you said the one that does the file watch and reload in my mind that kind of changed it began the change of web development in go because it started to look a little bit more like Rails, the whole asset pipeline in Rails. From what I remember, that was before Buffalo, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. I used to use Jin in the old days. Matter of fact, if you look at all of the .git ignore files uh, in every one of my repos, they all contain uh, a ignore line for the binary that Jin used to generate. Oh, nice. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah, just I think it's cool that Every one of these things that you mentioned, Johnny, it had some part to play. In, and like you said, not necessarily in the software, but in the, in the community or in the ways that people think about how these pieces fit together or in the way just people think about writing software in Go. Every one of those kind of just made one step or a couple steps towards, you know, better web development experiences with Go. I just think it's really cool to watch that evolution because, you know, it is the people. It's not just how many lines of code or who runs your code in production. It's also what were you influenced by? So one of the things that we do um, in the Buffalo project, we wrote a little tool that does it and you'll see it again in all the repos is a shoulders.md file. Um, and yeah. th what that literally does is it's a tool that goes through and finds all of the dependencies in your application, generates a markdown file with links to the go doc for all of them. Um, cause we are proud to, 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 to showcase these packages, you know, I mean, we can't build Buffalo by hand for every piece of it. Um, and so it's always not, you have, but you also have to recognize those people. You can't just use it and not give back to them. We just used your shoulders tool, Mark in Athens. And I was astounded to see how long that list was <laughs> of all of the, you know, the big, bold giants. I mean, I was just like, wow, you know, there's. All of these, it's, all of this stuff is out there. It's just really cool to see how much goes into writing a web app. I was surprised to find out that the shoulders tool that you just mentioned at Montgro actually contains stolen code. Hmm? <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, his, his shoulders tool, he just stole code for it. It's weird. What? No, it's fine, don't worry. <laughs> okay. It's oh. just a meta kind of meta joke. Oh, Don't worry, oh, the editor. You were, you were trying edit. to make a joke. Oh yeah. <laughs> God. That was, wow. that, that was good. That was good, Matt. I liked it. <laughs> oh, the shade. <laughs> no, every wow. time you have to explain a joke's punchline, that really makes the joke better. Well, you should just hang out with smarter people. Is the lesson? I completely agree. My nine-year-old's <laughs> upstairs. I might have to go. No, don't worry though. I uh, spend a lot of money bribing the editor of this podcast, so. Don't worry, they'll insert a good joke there <laughs> in post. <laughs> yeah, in post. We'll, we'll catch it in post, don't worry. Yeah. Uh, so one of the interesting things, you mentioned the different web frameworks. A lot of them are packages that you import and do work. But Buffalo's different, isn't it, Mark? Because it has tools and it has like generators and has a command line and, and all that. Yeah, it, it's more of an ecosystem like Rails, right? Um, you know, and back when I used to use things like Echo and Gorilla Mug straight up, I mean, there's just a lot of like, cut and paste and kind of crud code you have to keep writing. Um, and again, that's one of the things I loved about Rails was just that quick, like I can do Buffalo new, like I could do Rails new. And in 30 seconds, I have an app that I can just start throwing my business logic at. Um, I don't have to type main.go. I don't have to fill that. I don't have to then open up another file, decide what my folders look like, decide what all of that looks like. I've, the tool just generates. I'm a big fan of just letting tools do the work of people uh <laughs> they're so much better at it than we are so much more efficient <laughs> and so what do you do in buffalo you type in something like so say how how would you create 
uh, if you're going to model like a library and you've got like books or you've got authors and books or something like that. You want me to give you like a little, like, should I get the whiteboard out, Matt? Yeah, I want you to read out the code and I'll type it in and see if you're right. <laughs> see if it compiles. <laughs> <laughs> see if it compiles, yeah. This is a great podcast. <laughs> Hang on a second, everybody. I need to type this out. Well, you would do Buffalo New Library. You'd go in and you could do Buffalo Setup, which would uh, make sure that all of your databases are created and set up and the app compiles and the tests are run and Node is properly set up if you're even using it because you don't have to, obviously. And then what you'd probably do, Buffalo Generate Resource, Books, and so on and so forth. And that would generate migrations and models and HTML pages, if you're, again, if you're using HTML or JSON endpoints and kind of wire that whole crud thing up. So in about, like I said, less than a minute, I can have a crudded version of a books application database backed. And then using the Buffalo Heroku plugin, I can push it all up to Heroku and be deployed by the end of my demo, which is usually what I close with. <laughs> Some sort of demo like that. <laughs> well, yeah, that's awesome. But see that as an experience of building you know, if you need to build an app for yourself or even just quickly prototyping or since it's Go code and, you know, why not actually then have that in production too, of course. So that's the kind of, that's the awesome thing about Buffalo, I think, is that it really, as Rails let, Rails let kind of designers put together simple websites, yeah, actually. Yeah, they did, yeah. And, that, and, and the Web 2.0 was very, it was very evident that designers finally had a chance to... <laughs> to yeah, kind of call got, some of the they shots. They got some power. Yeah. And then, you know, everything looked prettier. This episode is brought to you by Rollbar. Move fast and fix things. Resolve errors in minutes and deploy with confidence. Head to rollbar.com slash changelog. Request a demo. Get started today. It's loved by developers, trusted by enterprises, and most of all, we use it here at Changelog. Move fast and fix things with Rollbar. Once again, rollbar.com slash changelog. Can we pause and can we talk about the database stuff in Buffalo and how just freaking cool it is? <laughs> sure, it, it if, is. as long as I can give a okay. shout out to uh, to Stan who who does all of, who manages the Pop project. He he, he does such an amazing job. He's if French, no, you French, awesome, French awesome dude. He's so cool. So kudos Stan what's, what's for his, a job that. Um, what's his Twitter name? Mark? Uh, if I can pronounce it. <laughs> um, I'd I'll spell it. Uh, Stanilis underscore M, if I can pronounce that correctly, I believe. S T A N I S L A S underscore M. Yeah, you've probably lost him followers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> With that. Somehow. Sorry, Stan, if I got it wrong. <laughs> Again, we'll, we'll catch it in editing. Yeah. No, we would never fix anything. We never fix anything in post. That's an important lesson for coding as well. Yeah, you're not going to come back later and fix it. Get it right no, now. It's so true. Roll, roll forward. <laughs> yeah. It's so true. So, so how one, how wonderful is is this is this thing that Aaron keeps talking about? Well, I I wanted to mention it because the because of the migration stuff. And that was the first library that I had seen in Go that would take care of your database migrations for you. And I, and I mean, up until that time, it was such a headache that I was handwriting SQL files and then executing them manually against my production databases. And what a headache that was. And now, you know, here, again, here comes along this Rails-like thing that was very Go uh, native feeling. And all of a sudden now I can go ahead and take care of all my migrations and check them in and have them basically version so I can roll back and roll forward and it just made the whole process way less context switching and way less conceptual overload just kind of fit more into my workflow I really love that please tell me about it <laughs> uh, I missed that at first I remember asking Matt Aminetti when I first started doing stuff like how do you deal with migrations he's like I just use active record <laughs> and I was like oh that's still so dirty to have like a great go site and then you're using active record for your migrations 
Um, no, uh, there are tons of other, you know, there are definitely there's like Goose and Migrate and a few other tools out there that preceded uh, Pop and Fizz. But the problem that, that I personally ran into that they couldn't solve for me was, again, the project that Buffalo stemmed from, I needed multiple database support and I needed multiple SQL files. Like I needed a way to migrate all of those. Um, and if you've ever tried to write SQL that works on SQLite, MySQL, and Postgres, like DDL SQL in particular, you know, good luck. <laughs> it's not, you can't, you can't write one that works. So either you have to have managed three files, which means you have to have changes for each one or if statements or something. And that's kind of where all of that came out of like, let's try to figure out some sort of common DSL like Active Record does. Um, so I could write the migrations once and then just run them against the different databases, you know, on the client side. Right. And I think that was, that's, that was definitely one of the biggest uh, wins to come out of this project was that, that ability. I, think. I wanted to mention another framework um, that I learned about and played with a bunch in the last year or so it's called Goa, G-O-A. Oh, the, ge- the one that generates everything. Yeah. It's pretty cool stuff. Yeah. Yeah, it's just a Go, it's a DSL written in Go and, and generates your whole API. It's definitely more for REST APIs, uh, but turns the whole thing on its head to me. I really love this this idea. Yeah, because it does things like spits out like uh, swagger and all sorts of crazy stuff. Uh, that is that is a cool yeah. project. I, I remember uh, Brian Kettleson uh, was a huge, huge fan of that several years ago and he he probably still. I mean, you work with Brian, so that's probably weird. Yep, <laughs> he is. He 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 turned me on to the whole the whole framework, and it's expanded now. It does Swagger, and now you can also do gRPC, and it'll run the services the exact same API next to in, in the same process right next to each other. So you can have like it'll generate docs too, and so it'll tell you you, know, you can hit this port and, and do your HTTP curl stuff and then you can hit this port with your grpc client which this thing also generates so it's uh yeah it's it's crazy and you write i think in the uh getting started guide maybe this is like 30 lines of dsl code and everything else is generated this this is machines doing the work and (laughs) i love it too mark (laughs) it's just so much better it's the future (laughs) yeah for sure until until they blow us all up and drive us underground yeah, but we've got a good six or seven years <laughs> yeah, between. Yeah. That's if we make it past 2020. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We'll, we'll enjoy the time until the machines take over. And, you know, I'm good with that. <laughs> <laughs> Same here. <laughs> but really, I mean, this code generation in here just blows my mind. More than Buffalo, even. Because this is like, you write 30 lines and then <laughs> you just get, it's just like everything handed to you on a, a silver platter by running their... Go a uh, uh, CLI tool, but how's the interfaces? Because usually with those tools, you trade off like. Because one of the things when we built MachineBox, we we played around with those sorts of general tools that would allow us to describe, and we looked at Swagger, and we looked at we may have looked at Goa too, and the trouble was, uh, it, it was very mechanical. I mean, it, it, as you say, it's the machines that've written this, and in a way, the machines have somewhat designed the API, and so I found the you know, from a storytelling point of view, I, I always like to still handcraft the API, but I don't know, how do you find the what gets generated? The code that's generated for the server, uh, the HTTP REST API code for the server looks pretty good. I, I would say, you know, I would make a couple tweaks here and there for sort of the average API, but it looks decent, hmm. um, passable, I would say. But then if you go over to the gRPC side, it's, it's a mess. In my opinion, it's a mess. And I think it's more because of the gRPC server package than Goa itself. Um, so it, you know, it's kind of trying to dance around the oddities of the gRPC package yeah. that gets imported. But, you know, it's like you said, you, you're locked into the decisions that Goa made for how, they, how they're going to design their server. And in essence, you know, the code that you have to fill in on the server side. But I'll take that over <laughs> over handwriting stuff, pretty much. If that's what you want, if it fits, then there's nothing better. Absolutely. It's just for the times when it doesn't quite fit or 
if you want to do so, just a small tweak, then you get stuck and that's where the pain comes. But it is, like you say, it's a trade-off and it depends what you care about. You're right about that gRPC stuff. It is very weird uh, what gets generated. It's cool, but it's not very readable. It's not very user-friendly, in my opinion. But that that's kind of the attitude, I think, with when you generate code is the attitude is that a human's not going to look at this. It's going to get generated just before we then compile. So it doesn't matter. But remember, we do all go through projects, read code. We like to sit and read it and see what it's doing. So I think a goal for generated code should be that, it, especially in Go, it, it's readable. It looks good. It's, go, it's going to probably be Go formatted anyway, Go fumpted, I suppose. Yeah, but make it readable too, if you can, because sometimes it, it, you can easily do it. It's, it's just something you have to bear in mind. It's 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 hard to do code generation well, I think, mm. uh, because again, I mean, everybody's a critic. <laughs> like Matt yep. said, we all love to read our code, don't we? Like, I will often just look at code on my phone and just be like, "Ooh, that's pretty." Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm lazy. I, I know I'm a weirdo, but I I actually do sit there and look at code sometimes. Like, wow, that. <laughs> um, and I'm sure others do too. Uh, but the code generation part's hard. It, it's hard on a lot of levels. One, because you're typically never actually writing, like, the pure language itself. You know, like, when you're with Goa yeah. or Buffalo, for example, like, we're not actually working in Go when I when we write the templates that generate a brand new Buffalo app. Or when Goa writes, the t- you know, their templates to generate their gRPC, for example. And so the problem is, you know, we're trying our best to even just make sure the stuff compiles when it's generated half the time. Exactly. <laughs> right, yes, right. With yes, the import statements. True. Yeah. It's so hard. And then like, how do you deal with like potential like unused variables by accident? And just there's all these things you need to really think about. And you're working in a meta way. You don't have any of the tools that go along with Go development because, um, you know, you're using a mm-hmm. templating language, too. So like everything's just broken and you're just kind of hoping it works and that your tests are good enough to make sure that the template you just wrote actually works. Yeah, it is hard. One thing, we've done it before. We did some project that had this. And one thing we did was we made a little live preview thing. So as we were typing in the templating in the editor, we could see what was rendered from some test data. So that is the way to write templates because, and then, and then you really notice the code and, and then actually what ends up happening though, and here's, as, as we see again and again, it's just a trade-off then because your template code looks messy in order to make the <laughs> right. generated look good. <laughs> and the template code is what you need to be working in. So you can't win. No, you really can't. It's really hard. <laughs> I wonder, yeah. has anyone tried generating code using the AST, the built-in uh, like Go AST libraries? actually like built up the syntax tree oh yeah there's lots of packages out there that do that yeah i've never tried actually doing it yeah well there's 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 a printer package so you can you actually have a printer that you give it the ast and it'll print it so and that's basically go go fumped yeah i'd be interested to see if what it's like i suppose to generate code actually using Go to build up the syntax tree and then passing it through mm. that printer function. It's a decent amount of work if you're going to build it all from scratch. Okay. Take my word for it on that. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah. I absolutely will. <laughs> just, like if you're parsing code, it's all right. Um, but if you wanted to like say, I'm going to physically create brand new files using the AST, like that is a lot of, a lot of work. There's some decent helper packages that other people have written. That, that make it easier. There's a missing package, I think. I think there's room for some ultra simple way of, of loading a Go package or a Go file and then accessing the stuff in it. It shouldn't be... The problem is, of course, it's very low level, as yeah. with lots of things in the standard library. There is room, I think, for another one more thing on top of it that just loads a document and you can just iterate over the interfaces and iterate over the variables. I've been exploring that space at, recently. <laughs> Um, and I, I actually sent you, Matt, an idea of a tool that I was considering. Um, and so I agree. I think one of the problems I've been trying to solve recently is just getting as much data as I can about a module or a package as quickly as I can. Um, and also as useful as I can. And there's a lot of different places where that's, um, very difficult 
still. Um, but one of the things I was uh, I've been considering was a tool that would actually rewrite your entire package or module um, so that it would group all your types together and organize them nicely with the type at the top, and then constructor, and you know all that sort of nice stuff, and move the tests around, physically rewrite all these files for you, so you can take a hastily written project and kind of go format and go fumped the actual like project package as opposed to it. But to do that, you really need a decent set of tools that can easily pick apart each file and kind of present up to you, hey, here here are the types defined and here are these things and here are those things. So I I agree, Matt. I think there is a place for a really nice tool that breaks down and gives you a bunch of really nice types back that represent, you know, your files and all your stuff, right? Yes. Something like a... Uh, representation of an entire module like you said yeah instead of just file by file kind of thing yeah like you know so one of the things i love is how godoc kind of groups all your types all the types together right um so you get you see the type you see its constructor and then you see all the related methods right and you know i I would love to be able to ask a package say hey you know for this module i'm in currently or this package if i'm not using modules like give me back that like all of that data, give me back a map or something that contains all the types defined in this package. Right. And off that, give me all the exported and unexported methods and the, and the comments and the fields and all that sort of stuff so that, you know, we can holistically look at a package and a module and say, Oh, this is what's happening in here. Um, and then, you know, with that tool, I could then rewrite the entire package, but that's beside the point. (laughs) Yeah, that's very interesting. That sounds like a good uh, exploratory, like if you've just happened upon a package and you want to sort of quickly explore um, the different uh, types and different things it can do. That sounds like a almost kind of like you're navigating a sort of in a faceted way, like all the different things that you can get, uh, you can you can make use of out of a package. Sounds like an interesting concept. Yeah, I mean, you know, so a lot of the secret sauce behind the Go Buffalo packages, right, is is that we're doing all sorts of stuff about just inspecting the environment and inspecting the folder and inspecting your app and like trying to guess all these, all this information. Um, so for us, I can tell you that if we had one package, we could just say, Hey, to give us everything. Wow. That would make the stuff we could do with, with, uh, with Buffalo so much more powerful. This episode is brought to you by StrongDM. Manage and secure remote access to any database, any server, on-prem or in the cloud, and environments. They make it easy for DevOps teams to enforce the security and controls InfoSec teams require. So if your engineers need access, you need StrongDM. So what can StrongDM do for your team? First off, more control, less hassle. Grant or revoke access to any database or server in one command. Use your SSO to manage access to every database, every server and environment. Second, total visibility. StrongDM upgrades your audit logs, log every permission change, every query, every SSH, and every RDP command and know who issued those changes. And of course, faster SOC 2 compliance easily enforce access controls and instantly answer auditors' questions. Head to strongdm.com slash go time to learn more and request a free demo. Again, strongdm.com slash go time. So back to web. What about WASM? Excuse me? Is that how you pronounce it? (laughs) What about WASM? You kiss your mother with that mouth. (laughs) So, yeah, the WebAssembly stuff's quite interesting, isn't it? And I've seen a few talks at different conferences on WebAssembly and Go, and some interesting one about using TinyGo with WebAssembly, because one of the things is... WebAssembly, that like the binaries that get created, or the assemblies, are massive. And if you use TinyGo, it, it's much smaller. What do you think about that? And do you think do you see a future in us being able to build and write client-side code in native Go like that? I think TinyGo is is amazing, but I actually kind of think it's orthogonal right now to WebAssembly. It's a great tool to, to get you towards, you know, writing your binary and getting it shipped down to the browser. But I don't think we have a good idea of 
how Go should actually work with your page, your HTML and your JavaScript and so on. Mm. I kind of almost think we need a, a framework-ish thing. I've got my hands full, Aaron. Maybe I'm more busy. like something like a Gorilla <laughs> Mux. Yeah, so something like maybe maybe a Gorilla Mux type of thing where it's, it's not prescribing everything you have to do to get your app running, uh, but it has a sort of guide rails for here is where you should be writing Go to get something done. Uh, and here is how you should be interfacing your Go over to the JavaScript and HTML and everything in the front-end land. Because really right now we've got, again, we've got this standard library, the syscall slash JS library. I've seen some cool stuff built on top of that that does look like framework-y kind of stuff. But it's sort of unclear to me still when I open up my IDE and I get ready to start writing that web app, it's kind of like I don't really know what to do besides start playing around with syscall.js because nothing is sort of jumps out at me yet. Yeah, that syscall.js thing, this essentially at meta language really for JavaScript, I think that's what we need to fix. I think that's the big outstanding problem with this. Uh, because you have to, for example, you have to write like document.call and then pass a string, which is the method you want to call, and then pass in arguments and things. And there's some good reasons for why that's the case. But there's got to be enough uh, enough uh, commonly used stuff in the browser or even the published browser APIs that we could implement directly in Go type, you know, in proper Go that we could then use. So we could just say document dot, and then there's a function in that package called get element by ID, and then it returns an element, you know, a strongly typed thing. And it's tough, obviously, because JavaScript's a dynamic language and Go isn't. So you have to, um, I think, figure that f- figure that out, reconcile that. But apart from that, I think that's the big problem that needs to be solved. You realize you uh, you totally blanked out on the big problem that needed to be solved? So you're like, and total silence. And I think that's really the big problem that needs to be solved. And I'll never and I'll never repeat that again. Never repeat it again. <laughs> that's it, folks. It's all over. Yeah. And with that, yeah, the interface is what I was saying. The interface. In how you interact with the DOM. That is a pain and is something I feel like we could fix. It feels I feel like there's a something just just there that we can grab to fix that. But I don't know what it is quite. Last time I scrolled through the WebAssembly channel, I'm trying to scroll up right now. There's no way I'm going to find this. Uh, but there were two frameworks, and I'm calling them frameworks on purpose. Uh, there were two, at least things that looked like frameworks that had the whole stack taken care of, even down to like the hot code reloading and in the browser, and templating. And you, there was a really cool way. I really wish I could find this a really cool way to, to hook up your HTML to uh, actually a Go function so that it was kind of like you're writing JavaScript in the developer sort of experience. And man, I thought that was super, super cool to have a whole tool chain and then to even be able to write, you know, your href equals whatever uh, and specify a Go function that should run when the person clicks on that thing. And we can get to that point. Oh boy. I, I mean, watch out. Because if you can then compile that stuff down with TinyGo, I mean, n- now we're talking. I'm so excited. Yeah. <laughs> now we're talking. <laughs> Vugu or Vuju? Yes. Vugu. That's the one. Vugu. Yeah. That yeah. Very one. interesting. And I think you're right. That's a cool if can, name. If we can crack that. Yeah, it is cool. Wonder where that comes from. Oh, it's mm-hmm. View for Go, maybe. No. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do some archaeology and I, I think Aaron though was was pretty much correct though. Um, I think we, it, we're in the early days of Wasm. Uh, let's just put it bluntly, right? I think it's still very very early. There's a long way to go, both from the Wasm side generally. I think there's a long way of to go to understand what we should be using it, how we should be using it, how browsers should be using it, and all that good jazz. Um, it's still a relatively new technology. Um, and then the same thing with Go. I think Go still needs to figure out how better to, to work with it. Um, so right now, I, it, <laughs> Mark says, 
It's a wait, not a buy. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> is there is there like a trailer we can do for <laughs> for this episode? Yeah, yeah, we will. Put that in there. A new segment. Mark, Buffalo isn't a V1 yet, is it? No. So why is that? Uh, a bunch of reasons. Um, one, uh, we were obviously waiting. Google App Engine support was always a big thing um, for us. We wanted to make sure that we could support that because it was a, a big platform. Now, obviously, that that uh, has changed. They've, they've opened up a lot, so obviously we can do that. Um, but also, you know, I mean, we're... We're still growing and we're still trying to figure this thing out, right? I'm, we're not at 1.0 yet. And I know we're not at 1.0 yet because there's still a lot to do and there's still a lot of work. And I know that changes will have to be made because of that. And some of them will be big breaking changes and some of them will be smaller, minor changes. And that's okay. And hopefully everybody will stick with us. But when we get to 1.0, I want that to be solid. I, I, I don't want to race there. I, I talked to Steve Francia a while back about, uh, Hugo. Uh, and he said, there's a reason why we're still at 0 0.53 or whatever it was at the time. <laughs> right. And mm. it's, you know, and the reason is it's, it's, a, it's, it's a big commitment to go to one Oh. And, you know, again, I don't think the project is there yet. And I think there's a lot of ways we can go and a lot of ideas that I have and improvements to be had. And, you know, I just hope that the community can step up, uh, and help us get to that, uh, faster. But you would say you would say it is production ready, though, because I mean I know a lot of people that are using it in production. <laughs> oh yeah, no, 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 absolutely, <laughs> it is absolutely just like Hugo. I, I consider it production ready. Uh, we just don't want to slap the one O on it because that limits what we can do in terms of changes, um, obviously, and it also with modules and semantic input versioning being what they are, um, going to a V two causes some hassle right now. Um, so we want to try to keep things as stable and we do try to keep things fairly stable. I think if you, if you notice, and then when we do have to break things, we try to break them in major minor releases, uh, which is what our kind of major release cycle is right now. And, uh, and we provide to try to provide tools that help you migrate. You know, we, we do have a Buffalo fix that will try to fix those things. So it is production worthy. And trust me, I know plenty of companies, uh, money companies, big money, money companies that are using it in production it's like i said it's just we haven't got there because i don't think it's done or i don't think it's it's 1-0 yet we got there though that's a nice thing though that you're doing which is respecting the v1 that is cool because it's a good lesson for everyone that's writing anything that's an api because you know if you've released that version one you want people to be able to trust it and that's something that the go project had which was um one of the things i think gave it a f good foundation because people could trust it that it was going to be stable so well done G thanks mark for doing that <laughs> well you're welcome matt <laughs> i did it i did it just for you you know yeah i know i know you didn't <laughs> although you didn't mention earlier i got you the github slash buffalo that's true organization name, we do remember? have the buffalo organization um and when we hit 1.0 the plan is to move from github.com slash go buffalo to github.com slash buffalo uh, and when we do that, all of our packages, regardless of what versions they'll be at when they move over, will all get simultaneously reversioned as one of at that point. We'll all have different import paths too, so it'll work. So make, yeah, perfect. Yeah. Good strategy. Well, it's pretty much the only strategy at this point. <laughs> <laughs> That's why it's a good one. Right? Yeah, I try. <laughs> Johnny, I could do with you in real life, just standing behind me, just saying, wait, 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 don't say that. <laughs> Whoa, like you're saying that cricket. to Mark? Stop, 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 don't say that to Mark. Yeah. Okay, well, that, I believe, is all we have time for today. But we had a lovely conversation about web development in Go. It's definitely possible. It's a choice that you can make. There's some things it do, it's going to do brilliantly, and there's some areas where you'll have to reach out and find some other tools. It's not all about the standard library. Uh, thanks very much to uh, my guests, Johnny Borsico, Mark Bates, and um, Aaron Schlesinger, um, whose name I've been practicing a lot. Thank you very much. We'll see you next time. All right, thank you for tuning into this week's episode of Go Time. If you're not yet, hang with us in Go for Slack. We have a channel called Go Time FM. Look it up, you'll find us. 
hang with us during the live shows, connect with other members of the community, share stories, share codes, share coffee recipes, whatever. It's a lot of fun. Also, we have discussions at changelaw.com on every episode. Head to changelaw.com slash go time, find this episode and discuss it with the community. Also, thanks to Fast, the our bandwidth partner, Rollbar for helping us move fast and fix things, and Linode for hosting the Change Law platform. Our music is produced by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. And if you want to hear more awesome podcasts like this, subscribe to our master feed. It's one feed to rule them all, plus some extras that only hit the master feed. Head to changelaw.com slash master or search for changelawmaster in your podcast client. You'll find us. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next week.